And you're listening to CITR F102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And it's time right now for the Nardwar, the human serviette radio show. And you just heard right there, brand new, brand new from Alice Bag. I was wrong a couple weeks ago when I said the tune I played by Alice Bag was brand new. This really is brand new from Alice Bag from Los Angeles. Turn it up from the Don Giovanni record blueprint. Turn it up. Thank you so much, Alice, for sending me this vinyl record. And also thank you for the amazing performance and button and records at South by Southwest. This is brand new by Alice Bag on the Don Giovanni record label. Turn it up. Today on the Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show, an interview with Cardi B. Cardi B, 
on the Nardwar, the human serviette radio show. And to prepare you for Cardi B, Cardi B here's somebody, Bernard Breslau, from the Carry On Gang with You Need Feet on the Nardwar, the human serviette radio show. Standing in a crowded bus the other day when a pretty girl stood on my toe. And as I gazed into her eyes of blue, this thought kept running through my brain. You need feet to stand up straight with. You need feet to kick your friend. to think what wonderful things feet are, have ya? Think of all the things you can do with just one pair of feet. If you hear a lilting melody, you can tap them. If you lose your temper, you can stamp them. And when you get home after a hard day's work, you can soak them. Yes, folks, feet are not to be sniffed at. So whether you're rich or whether you're poor, Put your best foot forward, keep your feet on the ground, look the whole world in the feet and say, you need feet to walk, to scamfold, or to dance the
she goes, and where she stops, nobody knows. 24 on the black. Pay the man in the white suit. And as they move into the far turn, it's Lady Luck into the lead. Lady Luck by a nose, by a head, by a length. And into the home stretch and thundering to the wire, it's Lady Luck. By now, you probably think this is an advertisement for a Las Vegas vacation. Actually, nothing could be further from the truth. It's just that today, so many of us are gambling away our very lives and happiness by relying on Lady Luck to take care of our tomorrows. This extends even to our homes. A four-leaf clover is supposed to be lucky. And so's a rabbit's foot. Except it wasn't very lucky for the rabbit. The long piece of wishbone brings luck. And so does a horseshoe. We even call upon Lady Luck in our conversations. If only my luck would change. This isn't my lucky day. Now tell me, do you believe luck is a dominant factor in your life and your future and in the lives and futures of your family? Or do you feel that success is not dependent on luck? Rather, like a fine building, success is laid a brick at a time on a solid foundation of dedicated, meticulous planning. Yes, concentrate on planning, and luck will take care of itself. How do successful people plan their lives? How do they seem to rise above every adversity? How do families maintain stability in their lives when the whole world seems so topsy-turvy? Is it by planning? And if you do plan for the future, what factors should be most important in your thinking? My wife and I asked ourselves these questions, but for years, the answer eluded us. Then one day we saw a film, a film which made the answer so clear, so dramatic, we wondered at ourselves for not having grasped it before. This film is about a husband, his wife, and their three lovely children. A typical family like yours or mine. Their struggle to plan and organize their lives in spite of truly bad luck is one that has significance for you, too. But let's let the father speak for himself. All my life, I had tried to do the right thing. I'd worked hard and given my family the love and material things they deserved. But somehow, I'd overlooked the one thing I should have realized above all else. I had relied on luck, not planning. And I had neglected my most valuable asset. Wait a minute. What was this most valuable asset? You'll have to see the picture to find out about that. All I can say now is that it proved to be worth about $175,000 in my case. And in other cases, it may run all the way from $100,000 to a quarter of a million dollars. In this film, you'll meet the members of his family and see true-to-life scenes like these. But, Mommy, I don't want to stay here. Why can't we stay at home? 
Mommy, please. Gosh, Mom, why do we have to move? Please, Mom, can't we take Wags with us? Oh, Mother, no, no. I just can't wear this to school. Her father never planned for things like this to happen. Of course, he didn't plan for them not to happen either. In fact, he didn't plan at all. He relied on luck instead of his most valuable asset. And this film has a happier side, too, a side which is of great importance to every mother and every father. You'll see how this husband and wife enjoyed the sunset of life with confidence and self-respect. You'll want to see this dramatic and true-to-life film and find out about your most important asset and how much it is worth to you and your family. The person seated beside you right now can arrange a free sh right now, 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 can arrange a free sh right now. A bell is to ring. A horn is to blow. And money? <laughs> money is to burn. Hey, stop! Quit running up that money! Hey, somebody stop him. He must be crazy. Call the police. Call the fire department. Call somebody. That's ridiculous. Nobody ever burns up money. Or do they? I've always wondered what happens to mine. Maybe you have, too. If you're anything like me, your spending probably goes something like this. That'll be $44.67. Thank you. Come again. Why, you couldn't get a better car than this baby. She can corner like a motorcycle. And pick up? Well, you just watch this for acceleration. Not only that, but she can stop on a dime. Now, here, sir, is a machine that even professional carpenters use. It mills planes, sand, saws, sharpens, joins, edges, and you can use it as a drill press to watch this. Yes, sir, you put this unit in your basement and you have a complete workshop, all in one piece. Why, you believe in tape more? Good morning, madam. I represent everywhere we have a complete line of kitchen utensils that'll make your cooking a delight and we have a pot or a pan for every occasion also there's a light yes in this day and age there are so many enticing ways to spend money so many places to spend it almost seems true Money is to burn. 50 times a day, we can almost feel the flames around our pocketbooks. Sure, many of the things we buy are unnecessary, but many more are not. Groceries, car, furniture, phone, clothes, heat, toys, medicine, taxes, soap, and a million other things to keep pace with the modern world in which we live. The endless chain of money coming in, money going out. One step forward, two steps back. A problem that most of us never solve in our lifetimes. A million voices crying, spend, and only an occasional echo whispering, save. 
I am, I suppose, an average man. I love my home and my family, and frankly, I'm worried. Worried about the future of this family I love. And if you're anything like me, you're worried too. Ask yourself these questions. Will the money that I'm saving today buy my children an education? Will it buy me the trip abroad I've always wanted? Will it provide capital for an opportunity that could turn up at any moment? I've asked myself those questions, and my heart has had to answer no. You may wonder why I'm talking to you this way. What's my point? What's in it for me? It's simply this. The truths touched on in this record were brought home to me recently. I saw a film, a film that was so forceful, so dramatic, that I had to tell you about it. The name of this film is Passport to Independence, and it's about a young couple, Charlie and Marge Rogers, who are so real, so true to life, that they could be the people next door. Here are a couple of scenes from the soundtrack. Can't we ever start saving something? Well, of course. Tell you what, honey, we'll start right now with this lucky $2 bill. We'll keep it in this old sugar bowl Aunt Lucy gave us. And every time either of us can spare a little cash, we'll add to it. You'll see Charlie and Marge struggle with this problem of saving until one day they get a new idea. One day, a man at the club let Charlie in on a little tip. It's silly to scrimp and save like you are. Why, a smart young fellow can build a few hundred dollars into a fortune in no time. Confidentially, he told Charlie about a sure-fire investment that was an absolute cinch to triple in value in the next few months. And you'll also meet Dad, one of the most unforgettable characters you'll ever meet. Son, I hate to ask, but could you spare a few dollars? I'm, I'm a little short this month, and, and well, I, I'd like to get something for the youngsters. Real people facing real problems, important problems you'll find that their search for a passport to independence is a search that we all have to face. And you'll discover that the solution the Rogers family found could change your life just as it has changed mine. The man who sent you this record can arrange for you to see Passport to Independence in your own home or office. When he comes to pick up this record, ask him to show you the film. It takes only 15 minutes and 10 seconds and could well be the most valuable few moments you've ever spent. That is, unless you believe that money is to burn. And you're still listening, I hope, to the Nardwar, the human serviette radio show. You just heard right there, money is to burn. And before that, luck is no lady. These were promotional records from 1968 put out by the Elba Corporation. And kind of alluding to a movie you should check out. I have absolutely no idea what they were talking about. Money is to burn and luck is no lady. And before that, we heard Pterodactyl and the Dinosaurs with Ball and Chain. And before that, we heard Chipmunk Punk. Yes, I've heard Pink Panther Punk doing It's Punk, It's Punk. But this was Chipmunk Punk, a 45, a 45 of Chipmunk Punk, which I've never seen before, doing Call Me. The Chipmunks doing 
Call Me. And before that, we had the English World Cup squad from 1970 with Alan Ball, who played for the Whitecaps, the Vancouver Whitecaps, doing Cinnamon Stick, the English World Cup squad from 1970. And before that, we had Bernard Breslau with You Need Feet. And to begin the show, we had Alice Bag doing Turn It Up. Coming up, an interview with Cardi B. Right now, before we get to Cardi B, here is Ricardo Keynes Douglas with It's an Amazing, It's an Amazing, and It's Amazing, The Things You See Today. And in an interview with Cardi B. B on the Nardwar to Human Serviette Radio Show. On the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show, right? Now, um, let's um give Ricardo. A bit of an intro. Here is on an Ardoir, the human serviette radio show. It's amazing the things you see today. I walking down the road, I see a fella, he pick up a bag and he help a lady. It's amazing the things you see today. I walking down the road, I see a fella, he pick up a bag and he run from the lady. It's amazing the things you see today. High wire act across Niagara, man in barrel over the water, man jump high from the CN tower. Dear devils, yes, dear devils, yes. Once upon a time in Africa, there was the north, the south, the east, and the west in Africa. The north was good, the south was good, the east was good, the west was good in Africa. The north was there, the east was there, the west was there, and the south was nowhere in Africa. In the west, we turn on the TV, yes, in the west. We turn on the TV, we see a man run, we see a boy run, we see a woman run. She hold, she head, she scream, she scream, she beg, she cry, we have po, we have po, we have po, 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 man fall in the soul, woman fall in the soul, child fall in the soul in Africa. It's amazing the things you see today. with me, hurt with me, how much 
love me? How much do you think of me? How much do you miss me? Share with me, rush home to me. How much do you trust me? How much do you love me? Oh, mama, oh, mama, if only, if only we could love, we could love without so much as a how much. Amazing the things. Hey, this is Cardi B and you're watching our awards video vault. It's it's yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's what you're watching. Reporting live from Bochella. Who are you? First off, who are you? <laughs> you are Cardi B? Oh, yeah, I'm Cardi B, yeah. Welcome to Coachella. Woo! Right off the bat, Cardi B, I have a gift for you right here. What can you tell the people about Junie? Junie B. Jones. I read her book. I used to read her books when I was in third grade. People have modified her books to fit you, right? Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people, they modify for me. Maybe because she's so obnoxious. I used to be like the Junie B from, like, school. Like, nobody used to like or She was always interruptive, always used to get in trouble. And I didn't understand why. And she never understand why she gets in trouble. And, yeah. I have another gift for you, Cardi B, because you brought back that dip. Freak nasty. Yeah. What can I say about that dip? You brought it back. Budak Yellow. I can't, I can't only show you about the dip. I can't tell you. Oh, please show me about the dip. I'm pregnant now, so you got to give me two, three months so I could dip. But you have the original sample right there to enjoy from 1996 for you, Cardi B. Well, I think you're a new friend of CD player, but okay then. Well, we have a solution. classic. We have a solution because I know you love history, don't you? I do love history. And I have another gift for you right here. This is the voices of history, including FDR, who I think his wife, you share a birthday with. Yeah, this FDR, this is Truman, this is Kennedy. I, this look like Eisenhower, I think. This, no way, I think this one is. Lyndon Johnson. Lyndon Johnson, didn't he got impeached? No, yeah. He yeah. succeeded Kennedy. Succeeded Kennedy. He got, he was after Kennedy, right? Yes, exactly. But you love history, and you also share a birthday with his wife, with Eleanor's wife? Eleanor, yeah, I do. Her birthday is on October 11th. And that is a vinyl record for you, a gift for you, Cardi B. What? what a really? A yeah, an actual vinyl record. Where, how, where, am, where am I going to play it? You're going to buy a turntable. Well, how you know I could afford one? Well, very cheap. They're at thrift stores, very cheap. Yeah, well, thank you, I would, because I, I like listening to these type of things. Cardi B, quote, I'm like the strip club. Mariah Carey? Mariah Carey. Mar yeah, 
And I have a gift for you from the number one strip club in Vancouver, the Penthouse. It's the history of the Penthouse nightclub in Vancouver. Yeah. And it's personally addressed to you. If you could open number one, two. Yeah, you know, when, when I was 20, I auditioned to um, Penthouse in New York City. I think it's in 40-something Street, like 11 Ave. But um, they told me to come back in a couple of months when I turned 21. Because, you know, you got to be 21 and older. This penthouse nightclub is amazing. If you can see, if you can open up number two, on number two there, it has a picture of Louis Armstrong. He hung out at the strip club, the penthouse. Jesus Christ. And number three, Sammy Davis Jr. hung out at the penthouse. I mean, you know, men just love half-naked women or butt-naked women. What Liquor Lust and the Law, the history of the number one strip bar in Vancouver, the Penthouse. I should read it. And actually, I was going to ask you, uh, that's a gift for you, I was going to ask you about these records. What can you say about stripping, like music to strip by? What do you think about these records, Cardi B? I mean, it, it really depends on, on the club that you work in. I used to, I actually used to enjoy dancing to house music. But, uh, you know, I went to the hood clubs, and then it's just, like, hip-hop. It just really depends, like, um... And we also have how to strip for your husband. Oh, I don't need this. I know how to. Because you are Cardi? Look, look at my ring. What does that tell you? Amazing. Cardi B. It tells you I don't need this right here. When When did stripping, like, started? Do you know? I think at the dawn of time. Dawn of time, right? There always has been strippers, but that is for you from 1962. 1962. I was curious, Cardi B, what can you say about these female rappers right here? Trina, the baddest... Bitch. Bitch. What can you say about Trina? You, I could say, get involved with a nigga, slob on a nigga, get all the money that I rob a nigga, because I'm a nasty bitch, I leave a nigga dead broke. Snatch his bag and get a brand new coat. I'm the jazz tight. And I only let you eat it if you ask me, okay? My pussy mad tight. Amazing, Cardi B. Mm-hmm. Have you met Trina? Yes. Have you sung it for her? Uh, yes. And underneath it, we also have from Los Angeles, Hoes with Attitude. What do you think about that type of band? I never really heard about them, but I already like them. Hoes with Attitude. See, I got to listen to them. Maybe I could get inspiration from them. Because this is the type of people that I like. And just not afraid to be themselves. There also is bitches with problems. Well, goddamn. Another band to investigate. Yes. I got to go back in time. You know what I'm saying? You know I'm a, you know I'm like a 90s baby. So when, when I started understanding like hip hop, what they were saying, I was like around. You know, eight, seven, six. Like I was saying these type of things, but I don't know what was what was I saying? And my mom, she, my mom, she grew up like listening to like Aerosmith, Madonna, Pet Shop Boys. That's the type of thing we used to listen in our house. You know, she's like, she came to this country and like she lived upstate New York with like the Caucasians. And you are Cardi B. Actually, Cardi B. How much money you spend on all these gifts for me? You are over gifting me like i feel like i owe you something now just being cardi b is amazing if you buy a turntable that will be the ultimate reward for me 
Yeah, I should. Since you got me all these gifts, I might as well. I got to use it, right? Exactly, because you are Cardi B. B. Well, meanwhile, Cardi B, Amish Market. The salad bar looked amazing at Amish Market. Yes. You know what? I always used to get the chicken Caesar salad. I still sometimes go there and get me a nice chicken Caesar salad or a, a oven baked pizza, a brick fire oven baked pizza. Yeah. When you got your ass done, did they really give you milk and cookies? Yes, because I almost passed out. What does a horse smell like? I have you been to New York? <laughs> Boom. Yeah. It smells weird. Did you at one time, Cardi B, break somebody's nose? You know what? I'm going to have a child, so I can't tell that story anymore. But you can talk about Toronto. I like Toronto. Frank Dukes, Boy Wonder. I, you teasing me, though. Be careful. What can you say about be careful, Frank Dukes? Well, um, what I can say about Be Careful is just like a beautiful song. I think it's a song that women and men can relate to. You know what I'm saying? Like, men can get this shit together. If your girlfriend plays Be Careful to you, how would you feel? I would do whatever Cardi B would tell me. Well, why do they don't t- Why would guys don't do what I tell them to do? Nah, they actually they do, because I'm crazy. Cardi B, what music videos did you audition for? I auditioned... A music video for 50 Cent and um, 50 Cent, ooh, I forgot the artist that he was doing a song with, but I know I auditioned for it. Um, I'm sorry, my eye is so teary. You want to fix that for a second? Or we should continue though, because I could do this interview with my eyes closed. What's up? <laughs> Cardi B, how do you deal with no hot water? Well, you know, uh, growing up in New York, living in apartments, sometimes there's no hot water in the building so like let's say if you gotta take a shower or anything like you gotta boil the water and mix it with the cold water that's how you like will take a bath yeah new york things i want to ask you about food what do you think of yogurt i love yogurt yogurt is good for like women you know it prevents yeast infections bacteria vaginosis and it's really good for you for your body about different stores of food in New York? Corner Style Jamaican. Do you know that store at all? Of course. I am from the Bronx. Like, there's Caribbean food everywhere. And I feel like, I feel like there's Caribbean foods everywhere in America, but for some reason, they don't do it like New York. J&J Clothing. I know J&J. How the hell you know about J&J Clothing? That shit is in 181st Street. What's that J&J? What do you buy there? Uh, clothes for, like, Clothes like for less, you know, you could find a cute little dress, mini dress for like $15. What's a good place for me to check out food-wise in New York, Dominican? Uh, I'll say like Fordham Row and Washington Heights. Washington Heights, that's where most of the Dominicans are. So everywhere in Washington Heights, you could find a local store and you could get rice, beans, and chicken or beef for like $6, a big plate, a man meal. Is that what you order? Most of the time, yes. Cardi B, lastly here, I have another gift for you. An I'll Be Sure record. What can you say about the I'll Be Sure? Uh, well, I, one day I'm going to have a wedding, and I would love for, um, that, you know, like this is a song that you got to cater to your loved one. I'll cater an I'll Be Sure song for my loved one. 
love you more in the rain or shine. And making love in the rain is fine. My love's so good and I call it mine. Love is blind. Thank you so much, Cardi B. Anything I want to tell the people out there at all? I want to tell the people out there that thank you for supporting me. And if you don't, suck my dick. And I know you think because I'm a woman I don't have a dick. But I have a pink dildo in my dresser. Why should people care about Cardi B? Why should people care? I think you should care. Well, you don't have to care for me. You know what I'm saying? Because I don't give you no money. I don't help you out. I don't do anything for you. I just make you laugh and entertain you and if that's good enough for me then you should care if you if i don't entertain you then you don't you shouldn't care you should move on with your life well thanks so much cardi b keep on rocking in the free world and do do loot do 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 loop do 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 yeah yeah it's that pure funk baby That pure funk, baby. Yeah! Thoughts and harmonies in this mother. And I'm easy. And it don't stop. And it won't stop. So I blaze off. Anyway, HWA's got more something that they want to say. So I yo jazz. Break them up.
And you're still listening to the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. And that was HWA, Hoes with Attitude, with I Ain't No Lady from 1994. And before that, an interview with Cardi B. Coming up right now is the theme from The Search for Spock, the theme from Star Trek the third, Star Trek Part 3. Today is May the 4th, a la Star Wars, but screw Star Wars, let's ha- transport you to Star Trek. So this is The Search for Spock, the theme from Star Trek Third, the Part 3, on the Nardwar, the human serviette radio show.
L is for the way you look at me. O is for the only one I see. V is very, very extraordinary. E is even more than anyone that you adore can love. Is all that I can give to you. Love is more than just a game for two. Two in love can make it. Take my heart and please don't break it. Love was made for me and you. The only thing we didn't pull out of was Vietnam. 
not a professional actress. I am a real person like yourself. I'm not here to sell you a product, but to give you some good consumer advice. Most of us are aware of our diminishing supply of natural resources. But did you know we are also running short on unnatural resources? <laughs> Until recently, I, like so many of you, thought that surely there was enough plastic in the world to go around. <laughs> Apparently, this is not true. You hear all this talk about saving trees. Well, trees can be grown. With plastics, you have to start from scratch. <laughs> To say we are up a creek without a paddle will be truer than ever, since paddles are now made of polyvinyl chloride. <laughs> Some of you may be saying, is this a real crisis or just something the plastics industry trumped up to raise the price of plastics? Well, I am sorry to be the one to tell you that this is a genuine synthetic crisis. <laughs> if something isn't done, there could be a panic on plastics. Vinyl leopard skin will become an endangered synthetic. <laughs> Greedy people will be hoarding things like baggies, <laughs> rain bonnets, shower curtains, astroturf, spatulas, plastic toothpicks, parchisi dice, and leisure suits. <laughs> Tupperware parties will have to be shut down. <laughs> Studies show that over two-thirds of game show gift items are made of some form of plastic. Let's make a deal in one game show alone. Uses more plastic than the entire country of India has ever seen. <laughs> if we don't stop squandering and start conserving our unnatural resources, there will be an end to civilization as we know it. Gather around, folks, and listen to me. Pay attention, and you'll agree I got a story that's bound to make you weep. I always did hate like the Dickens when I had to get up with the chickens. I'm a guy that really likes his sleep. 
Up till this year, I managed to pass. Never went to an 8 o'clock class. Why go to class if you like your sleeping better? But last September, the worm she turned. A new kind of routine had to be learned because I became a bona fide blood letter. Now I'm at the hospital way before 8. I have to get there and exsanguinate. I'll tell you, folks, this life can get you down. Knowing the value of the acid base rarely ever tells you how to treat a case, but the chart's got to be right when the wheels make round. So you dash on the ward and check the yellow sheet, and written right down there, plain and neat, is every test they can think of for you to do. There's an FBS and a BESP, a BUNCANP, NAKCL, and CO2. You have a lot of calculations to make to figure out how much blood it'll take, and your answer comes out something like 100 cc. As if you didn't have no cause to act quick, some nurse is telling you to get on the stick. She's waiting to take your patient to EEG. But the thing guaranteed to make you sore is that you have to look on every floor before you find a syringe and a needle near the right size. Then you spend 10 minutes gouging for a vein. The patient's lying there racked with pain. For miles around, you can hear his pitiful cries. But you finally get the blood and put it under oil and head for the lab like it's gonna spoil. And by the clock, you see you're done out of time. You go running down the hall and around the curve. The girl sees you and says, you got your nerve. Don't you see, boy, you done way past the deadline. Now you beg and plead and try to get her to take it, but she's got willpower and you can't shake it. She feels for sure that she's going to get the last laugh. But a little smile comes over your face because you got a whole card and it's an ace. You tell her this is something special for the chief of staff. Exsanguinate, exsanguinate. Exsanguinate, and if you see you're gonna be late, telephone the laboratory, give the girls a hard luck story, tell them all must wait while you exsanguinate. Now, I had a patient by the name of Joe, there's never been another man I know that hated to get stuck half as bad as he did. At the sight of a needle, large or small, you'd hear him all up and down the hall, he'd get shook up and almost flip his lid. Now we had old Joe up on 3 West that finally got old soul to rest, but while he was here we knew him like a book. When he died, he didn't need to confess what we hadn't determined anybody could guess. We just sent along his chart for St. Pete to have a look. His chief complaint was kidney colic, but he had some problems that were metabolic, and every metabolite over there just went eight. We drew so much blood that he got anemic, his skin got pale and his heart ischemic, and with all those needles, Joe was in bad shape. So we started replacing all the blood that was drawn till he no longer had any blood of his own, and by that time, he was so weak he didn't even care. Then somebody said, well, why transfuse him? It'd be much simpler if you didn't use him, have the blood bank send it to the chemistry lab from there. For a while, this plan worked out just fine. It was easy on Joe, and it saved me time. Then the blood bank said we'd used all the blood they had. So once again, bloodletting was resumed, and old Joe knew that he was doomed. The day he wrote his last request was kind of sad. Now, this request struck some as funny. He wished to be buried with the dummy, a 15-gauge needle and a large syringe. But I knew what Joe was planning to do, cause each day his hostility grew, and in this way he'd have eternal revenge. So he passed on to his salvation, direct result of exsanguination, but the wheels never would admit that he was in shock. Cause the metabolites had shown their talents, and when he died, he died in balances. Cause of death, they signed him out as a croc. 
His epitaph says, here lies old Joe. He should live a long time ago when folks didn't understand chemistry quite so well. Now, if you ever want to get yourself a fright, just go by old Joe's grave some night. You'll hear him laugh and that poor old dummy yell. Exsanguinate, exsanguinate. Exsanguinate, and if you see you're gonna be late, telephone the laboratory, give the girls a hard luck story. Tell them all must wait while you exsanguinate. You better draw that blood and get it down to the lab. You're still listening to the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. You just heard right there Doug Harrell from 1955 with Exanduation Blues from 1955. The darndest things happen in the record business. Of May, in May of 55, a group of medical students at the University of North Carolina were preparing skits for the annual Student Faculty Day program. A third-year student, now a MD, by the name of Doug Harrell, wrote and presented with the aid of fellow students a monologue entitled Exanduation Blues. Several thousand copies of the record were pressed by Harrell and sold immediately. Colonial Records of Chapel Hill, who in 1953 released the best-selling monologue when it was, was football, became interested. Orville Campbell, the owner of Colonial, talked Doug into writing another monologue entitled Hospitality Blues. Doug did, and during the past six months, over 10,000 records have been sold. Orders have come from every state in the Union. Sales, instead of slowing down, have increased every week. Everyone seems to enjoy the true life, down-to-earth humor in Exanguation Blues and Hospitality Blues, Colonial Records, and also featured on the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. And before that, we heard some Lily Tomlin from 1977. And before that, we heard some Nat King Cole doing love. And the reason I played Nat King Cole partly was, if you look at the groove, there is a strange triangle that says, I am. There is a strange triangle. The song is called Love, but there is a cool triangle on the run-out groove etched into the record that says, Love, I am. It's like a really cool kind of triangle in the actual runoff groove that is Love by Nat King Cole. And before that, we played The Search for Spock from Star Trek Three. Screw! May the fourth be with you. Well, actually, don't screw it. Embrace it. But let's give some love. Kind of, can we please give some love for Star Trek? So this is the theme from The Search for Spock, Star Trek Three. And we began with, way back when, with Hose with Attitude from 1994. And before that, an interview with Cardi B. Right now, to end the Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show, I thought I would play 
Bill McNeil's voice of the pioneer. Conversations with Canadian pioneers. So we're going to play a whole bunch of voice of the pioneer. Conversations with Canadian Pioneers by Bill McNeil. But before that, brand new from Fashionism. Hello, Robin. Thank you for this record. Come on, my lady. Fashionism, who are going to be going on a Finnish tour very soon. Fashionism. Come on, my lady. Brand new from Fashionism from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And in right after that, Bill McNeil's voice of the pioneer on the Nardwar, the human serviette radio show. The voice of the pioneer grew out of that wonderful spontaneity and pride of nationhood that gripped all Canadians during 1967, the centennial of Confederation. My own centennial project was the development of a new program 
featuring the voices of those pioneers who had helped to build our country. As I started to search, I found hundreds of older Canadians with stories to tell, and the more they talked, the wider the doors of their memories opened. The program itself, when it started, became an immediate hit with people all across Canada. The reaction was so positive that the CBC decided to keep the program going even after centennial year had passed into history. Voice of the Pioneer is now in its 15th year. When I meet these wonderfully human older people, I often think that some of their humanity and positive qualities may not have been evident when they were young and overly ambitious because they were most concerned with trying to make it in a hard world. Perhaps I wouldn't even have cared much for them at that time. But maybe a good dollop of old age is all that's needed to bring out the best in all of us. Something happens because certainly I never met a pioneer I didn't like. I love the look on their faces as they relive the events that were the highlights of their lives. I watch them become young again before my eyes, and there are no longer any age barriers between us as we laugh and sometimes cry together. These are some of my pioneers. Mrs. Jessie Tyerman's memory goes back farther than anyone I've ever talked with. For most of us, the Riel Rebellion and the Battle of Duck Lake in 1885 belongs to a past that we've only heard about through our history classes. But Jessie Tyerman was six years old in 1885 and living with her parents in Prince Albert. Louis Riel was fighting for something he believed in, and most of the settlers could understand that. Mrs. Tyerman was 91 years old when I talked with her in 1970 about the Riel Rebellion. It was quite disturbing, this uh, fight at Duck Lake, because we knew practically every one of the men who were killed, and uh, later some of them who had been imprisoned, you know, in the cellars, who uh, were friends of ours when the thing was over, you know. I think that was more disturbing for the town than perhaps anything that happened. Did you feel threatened by it? Did your parents feel threatened? Oh, yes, I think so. The town was uh, the scouts route from dawn until daylight, you know, and uh, nobody was on the streets. I think probably in the spring of the year, about March, I don't know, and I remember being, we smaller children had been sent to bed and were hustled out of bed and sent over to the, uh, what was the Presbyterian manse. They'd built a stockade around it with the cordwood from everybody's backyard. Everyone was to make for the stockade as soon as the, the church bell rang. It was quite exciting around the church that night. You know, they came in and told us if we heard any shots, we must lie flat on the floor and so forth. I can remember a group of nuns coming down and sitting along one wall, and they seemed more disturbed than some of us did. <laughs> we children sat under the dining room table. <laughs> And they did tear down some houses, thinking that the Indians might get in and shoot from the windows, you know. And of course, the men were milling around outside, and everybody very excited. They had their guns, the men? Oh, yes. Oh, everybody had a gun in those days. By morning, it was all, we all went back home. Did Duck Lake happen shortly after that? You'd be about six years old. I huh? think probably Duck Lake was before that. I'm not just sure of the Duck Lake battle, but I remember a man who was captain in a detachment from the east came in the very early morning to our house, and 
He left from our place with the others, you know, to go to Duck Lake. He was very excited. He was really the captain of the uh, group, and he was killed, which brought it pretty close, you know. What did you feel afterwards, and how do you feel today about that whole Riel rebellion and about Louis Riel himself? I think they were fairly sympathetic with uh, the great many of the people were anyway with the uh, half-breed movement, and uh, many of the farmers didn't even bother coming into town. They just stayed on the farms, you know. What was the feeling throughout Prince Albert and throughout that part of the West about Riel uh, when he was hung? Well, you know, they didn't seem to be making the fuss about it there now. Yeah, I think uh, most of them felt that uh, it was a thing to do. I don't know. I really I can't really be sure about that. But at the same time, he was respected by a great many people because he didn't seem as bitter or as cruel as a lot of them did. Did anybody think he was insane? No, not at that time. I don't think so. No. The Canadian government was desperate to settle the lands of the Canadian West in the early part of this century. Immigration agents from Canada swept through the British Isles and Europe, painting a picture of our young, undeveloped country as a land of free farms and prosperity. One of these early immigrants was George Shepard. At his home in Saskatoon at the age of 80, he could look back with humor at how he and his father believed all the propaganda when they set out for Canada in 1908. They showed you pictures of uh, lovely farms with a man sitting in a top buggy and eight-roomed house behind a big hip-roof barn, plantations of trees and cattle drinking at a well. Of course, when we got out on the homesteads, it was vastly different. There was just acres and acres of grass. There wasn't a furrow plowed anywhere, and maybe just an odd shack here and there, but we stayed with it until we did make some of those dreams come true. We got a job, my dad and I, we got to work on farms here at $10 a month for the entire summer of seven months. That's $70 for the summer's work. And my mother, with five other brothers and sisters, came out in August of that year, 1908, you put down your $10 entry fee. That was all the money that changed hands on 160 acres of some of the best land that ever lay outdoors. But you did have to get on it within six months and start to perform residence duties and uh, some cultivation duties and build some sort of a house. The uh, residence duties consisted of sleeping on your homestead at night. But now that you've got all this land on the bald-faced prairie, how does an almost impoverished family manage to put up a home, especially in an area without trees? A lot of the homestead folks, they could build uh, sod buildings just out of sod with no interior lumber, just sod walls about two or three foot thick, and uh, poles on the roof with hay on the poles and dirt on the poles and you could build a habitable house like that for a cost of about $5. And with a $10 cook stove and a few boards for to make beds and tables, you're in business and ready to go. Well, now that you've got an enclosed shelter, it's time to tackle the job of breaking the prairie soil. That land must be like concrete, lying there undisturbed forever, at least since the last ice age 10,000 years ago. We uh, got four oxen the first summer. 
and then you'd start off early in the morning in the cool of the morning hook them up and work till about dark that was a pretty primitive way but uh, things were primitive anyhow the first break-in was the toughest it had been tramped over by buffalo and uh, it had to be fairly moist because it was just like trying to plow concrete so you had to hope for wet weather a wet spring and wet during the summer so you could do your break-in there was always a little bit of a sort of a thrill to turning over this prairie that you knew hadn't been touched and then that first autumn if there'd been no hailstorms or snowstorms to wipe it all away the neighbors would help each other to get it harvested sometimes a binder would be in the neighborhood and the chap would cut crops for other people you paid 75 cents an acre i think to get a crop cut for the binder uh, and then you went out and stooped it and these big thrashing outfits came around later on and thrashed it it was all a pretty pretty big gamble all the way through a far different picture than that painted by the immigration people one would think there'd be a great exodus of disenchanted people after one hard winter. Not too many of them, because where was to go? If you were from Europe, you'd cut all ties with the homeland, and you just had to stay. And the one thing uh, in the West, it's always the next year country, uh, especially in the homestead days, there was a great big air of optimism. To the poor people of the world, Canada was like a beacon shining in the darkness. If only they could get to Canada, their troubles would be over. Harry Hennig was a Jewish boy from Poland, the young victim of vicious beatings and the numerous pogroms that took place in his tiny village. Finally, his father was able to send him to Canada to work on the homestead of his uncle in Saskatchewan. He arrived with a name tag on his coat in the middle of the night. It was so strange. I couldn't speak a word of English. I was just like a piece of luggage. And I sat on the train. I didn't know a thing. And the prairies looked so desolate, so terrible, so sad. It was in November. And the cold wind was blowing. And those little dry uh, bushes were shaking in the, in the cold wind. I got off the train in Hirsch on a wooden platform. Dark, late at night, not a single light, nothing, dark, pitch black. I thought to myself, my God, where did I come? What, what kind of a world is here? And then out of the darkness, figures appeared with flashlights. They were my cousins. They were searching for me. Took me in a 1927 T-Ford and drove across fields. I thought, how do they know how to get there, wherever they're going? <laughs> there's no road, there's nothing, they're driving. And they took me up to that house, and that was the first night that I really had a meal that they put a pot of meat on the table, and I thought, my God, I must be in a, in a land of plenty. Look at all that meat I've never seen in my life. I was forever hungry. I never had anything to eat. And I slept in a very cold room in a galvanized bathtub, and I couldn't sleep. And I'd sit up nights and read and read. And uh, I must have read 300 books that winter. How far was your... Uh nearest neighbor the average was about a mile and a half two miles apart a farm they were just scattered all over the horizon you could hardly see them but it was so terribly cold at nights they were so still that you could hear a coyote uh, uh, howls 
30 miles away. A crack of a whip, you could hear like it was near and it was someplace out in Estevan. You were afraid to move. You thought if you would move, you would break the, the, the air. It was so crisp and cold. It was tremendously lonesome. My chores would begin at 4 o'clock in the morning to feed 10 horses, water them, pull water out of the well, and, and the rope was frozen with ice this thick, and to, to water 10 horses, by the time the water reached the trough, it was ice, it formed to ice, it was that cold. The Dukabors came to Canada from Russia in 1899 in cattle boats, looking for freedom from oppression and a land of their own. Elizabeth Popoff Basiov of Saskatchewan came on one of these boats, safe and comfortable inside her mother's womb. My parents traveled on the boat 27 days. And then when they unload in Quebec, they were quarantined for a month, I think, there because there was smallpox amongst them. And I think they lost 10 persons on the ship. They cooked themselves. Water was rationed. Mother was very sick on the boat, but Dad felt all right, you know. How anybody felt all right is hard to know. Jammed in like the cattle that the boats were built for. Human freight from Russia looking for a new life in Canada. Too poor to pay for their own passage. They just made up bunks and they brought the folks over. Didn't cost them very much. Whatever they can get from individuals. When they landed in Canada, some followed their leaders and formed into colonies. Some homesteaded and some went to work at anything they could find. They built huts out of sticks and mud to shelter their families. Well, I remember the mud houses. They were uh, made of logs and plastered with mud and uh, then whitewashed and summer follow. And that was put on the roof, one on top, something like the shingles. And the water, the rain ran off that way. There's where I grew up. I was ready to start school. And there's where I got my education and went to school. And in Blaine Lake, and we really pioneered. I remember thrashing and stooking and milking 10, 12, 15 cows, and we did really hard work. Imagine what it must have been like for a little Dukabor girl with immigrant parents who looked and talked differently, who was made to feel different by students and teachers. We weren't dressed like some of the kids in the town, you know, and of course we were looked down upon. We spoke Russian, and we couldn't speak English when we started school. Even being as children, we noticed it. You don't feel equal to the other children. Mothers didn't follow the styles. Just instead of having the buttons, mothers didn't have time to sew the buttons on and make buttonholes, so we just used the safety pins, and teacher would say, well, uh, now why don't you sew this on yourself, you know? So from there on, uh, how little we were, we just got busy and tried to do it if the buttonhole was way too big for the button, but we tried to do it anyway, to sew it anyway, you know, and so on. You know. A little later, well, we could buy some or send away to Eaton's and Simpson's, the catalogs, and then we, we got all the clothes, you know, we wanted. 